Novel Magics by Michael K. Austis. Chapter 1 The Curator Sarah's right leg felt like a fire ant colony had made its home under her skin. Since her left calf still had that knife in it, this was to be expected. She hadn't wrecked yet, so she figured driving had gone fairly well so far. The storm, however, made matters much worse. It rolled over the rooftops of the city like the manifestation of a black depression, the torrents of rain making it nearly impossible to see street signs, and the gusts of wind damn near blowing her car off the road. She looked in her rearview mirror. The headlights were barely visible through the sheets of rain, but there they were. The SUV still followed her. Shit, she cursed. She sped against the lights of the next few intersections, vainly hoping that whoever was driving that SUV would have more respect for traffic laws than she did, but no such luck. Her stunt drew irritated honks and rude gestures from the opposing traffic, but no one seemed to notice when the SUV did the same thing that she had. The oncoming cars slowed as if to give right of way to her pursuers. If her tome hadn't fallen underneath the passenger seat, she'd have called down one of her disruptions, raising an earthen wall between herself and the SUV. She couldn't reach her tome without pulling over. By the time she'd have grabbed it, they'd be on top of her, and it would be too late anyway. She took a sudden left down a narrow alley, clipping a silver Toyota in the process. Even as she weaved the car between dumpsters, Sarah refused to slow down exploding out the other end of the alley into a one-way road that wanted to take her left. She, of course, went right. She had to get to Old Town. She would be safe there. This was her mantra, the only thing keeping her focused enough to drive. Sarah looked in her rearview mirror again. Had things always looked this blurry? The SUV was no closer than it had been before. They weren't trying to run her off the road, at least. This didn't mean she was safe. In fact, this had the potential to be far more dangerous. From what she remembered, persistence hunting was an old human tradition. Old Town was a jumble of pollution-stained bricks and mold-covered wallpaper. It had no shops, no restaurants, and made practically no money for the city, while simultaneously devouring any urban reformation project thrown directly into its maw. Rows of squat brick apartments huddled against each other in the storm, their denizens faring little better than the buildings themselves. Most cities would have bulldozed a place like Old Town into rubble and started all over again, but somehow every proposal given to the city council to do just that found itself blocked or quietly shredded in a back room somewhere. So the neighborhood stayed a defiant blotch on a city otherwise made of glass spires so tall that their tops were lost in the tumultuous gray clouds. Some residents blamed corrupt politicians, claiming that Old Town was a prime location for organized crime and thus valuable to those in power who got a cut of the action. The real reason was, of course, much more complicated. The heart of Old Town was the Athenaeum. Carved from a solid block of concrete, it was the oldest and smallest library in the city. It wasn't part of the modern system of public libraries. Its patrons held no library cards because everyone who needed to find the Athenaeum 
eventually found their way to its brass-plated doors. The inside gave the impression of a naturally formed cave more than anything. Its rough-walled corridors lined floor to ceiling with time-polished wood shelves that dimly reflected yellow lamplight. The shelves were not filled with books, but rather with the tomes, leather-bound and most of them thick as Bibles with inlaid gold-leaf titles going across their covers. It was said that they couldn't be found anywhere else on the continent. It was said that each tome had someone in mind upon its creation, simply waiting for the right person to pick it up and read the first line. It was said that when one tome was taken out of the Athenaeum, a new one appeared in its place just as simple as that. All these things were said. The actual percentage of people who had a tome was very small, but everyone in the know had one. So the city prospered, and as long as this continued, Old Town would be allowed to shamble on, immune to the consequences of its own existence. Casey sat behind his desk in the main hall of the Athenaeum. His gaze lingered on the only window in the building, large and built for a display that he never quite got around to putting up. As the curator, he always seemed to have other duties that got in the way of this one simple task. He watched the rain, the empty street, and tried to keep his cool. The person sitting across from him, a man by the name of Greg, wasn't helping with that. Greg wasn't exactly a friend, he was more of a close acquaintance. Older, lanky, and covered head to toe with tattoos that spoke of a loud youth which, with age, had slipped into neuroses and obsession. Greg gripped his tome, which was titled Yearly Precognition, with his bony, white-knuckled fingers. On the desk between them, a digital recorder played. Something that sounded like an explosion followed by the roar of what might be flames played on the little speaker, amplified as it echoed off the stark walls around them. Behind the noise, there was the sound of inarticulate screaming. Then, the recording simply ended. Do you see what I mean? Greg asked, eyes wide with fear behind his circular glasses. He rubbed the tip of his tongue across the edge of his top teeth, a nervous tick. My disruptions are rarely wrong about the future, Mr. Casey. So far, I have an 85% accuracy rating. Casey rubbed his hands across his face, heaving a sigh. Look, Greg, it's not that I don't believe you, Casey replied with more patience than he felt. It's that there's nothing I can do without more information. How can I try to stop something that I don't have any details about? Besides, isn't the real danger that my actions would actually cause the event? That's a good point, Greg said, nodding. Normally I would agree with you, but look at my tome. Greg held out the leather-bound brick of papers and flipped it open on the table. Page after page was blank until he reached the very last one. Small, spidery letters glistened a dull green under the lamplight, spelling out nonsense sentences that would only make sense to Greg. I've been doing this for a while, Greg said, sadness apparent in his voice. Nearly used up all of my disruptions at this point. I've developed a sense for these things over all these years. He reached across the table, grabbing Casey's forearm for emphasis. I can almost guarantee that if you refuse to take any action, things will get bad. I can't say exactly what will happen, but this place will go up in smoke. Casey looked at the tome in front of him and felt a wave of sadness. 
He hadn't been the curator when Greg took that one out, decades before his birth. But seeing one so close to the end of its usefulness was always a hard thing. Why did you waste one of your last disruptions to look into my future? Casey asked, unable to take his eyes off the words. We know each other, sure, but not that well. <laughs> I didn't do it for you. I looked into the future of the Athenaeum itself, Greg said, gesturing at the shelves around him. Always been grateful to this place for letting me find this thing, he said, patting the tome as one might a favorite pet. I figured that on my last page it was only fair to make sure this place would stay safe, as a sign of gratitude. I understand, Casey said. What are you going to do once your tome's completely empty? He asked. Greg chuckled, a resigned sound that made Casey glad he would never know what it was like to reach the end of a tome. No idea. Retire. The Adirac Inc. has a pretty good package for people in my line of work. Greg removed his hand from Casey's arm and closed the tome with a thud, his fingers resting lightly on the well-maintained cover. Well, I appreciate you telling me. Casey said, his tone indicating that the conversation was over, whether Greg liked it or not. If you want to show your appreciation, take my warning seriously, Greg said. I didn't use one of my last disruptions just to be ignored by a young curator. Yeah, sure, Casey replied. Greg eyed him a bit longer, but eventually stood up. Without another word, he walked off into the corridors of books, footsteps echoing as he turned a corner and disappeared into the half-illuminated space around him. Casey got up from his chair and stretched, the muscles in his legs stiff. Thirty-five and slightly overweight, he could just begin to feel age sink its teeth in, joints and muscles not quite bad enough to complain about, but nowhere near where they had been ten years ago. He half-walked, half-limped over to the window and placed his head against it, his breath making the outside world disappear in a sheet of condensation. The cool glass felt good against his forehead. Nothing's going to happen to you, he said to the room, whispering as if in prayer. Casey was used to talking to himself, so talking to a building that housed reality-bending books wasn't too much of a stretch. His predecessor, an old corvid of a woman named Paige, had never quite been clear on whether or not the place was alive, but the way Casey figured it, even if all the tomes burned, new ones would just appear, like they always had. Besides, the Athenaeum itself had appeared after an inferno had ravaged the city nearly 200 years ago, so it was only reasonable to assume that a much smaller fire wouldn't actually hurt the place. It'll take more than fire to destroy you, Casey said, louder than he had intended. He turned away from the window, patting the nearest shelf reassuringly as he walked by. Sarah was getting lightheaded. No surprise there, loss of blood tends to do that to a person. Music blasted from the radio of her car, the volume maxed out in a vain attempt to keep herself awake and lucid enough to continue driving. Her leg was one monolithic, bone-deep throb that sent bolts of lightning from the tip of her toes right up into her lower back. She wanted to be in bed, wanted to be anywhere that involved lying down and resting for just a minute. Her eyes began to close, and a warm feeling enveloped her. Why are you running away from me? The voice came from the back seat. Sarah's eyes shot open, the car veering dangerously close to the sidewalk for a few heart-stopping seconds. 
She looked over her right shoulder, wildly glancing around the back seat, expecting to see someone there, but it was empty. Sarah tried to control her breathing, fighting to suck in deep lungfuls of air as the pain erupted all over the left side of her body, the sudden motion making the knife dig further into her leg muscles. The SUV was still stalking her. Why are you wasting whole lines of disruption on me? She asked between gasps. They could afford to do so, and she knew it. Sarah had been planning her escape ever since that incident. The person who had been her immediate supervisor, a woman by the name of Dr. Clarkson, was now barely recognizable as human. Sarah would die before winding up like that, even if it was in the name of scientific progress. Once again, the voice spoke to her, this time from the passenger seat. You must realize that escape is impossible. Even if we decide not to run you off the road, all we have to do is wait. You have lost a lot of blood, Sarah. Sarah gritted her teeth and did her best to focus on driving. The voice was demanding her attention so harshly that she had to fight the urge to physically turn her head and look at the empty passenger seat. She put more weight on the gas pedal, determined not to stop without a fight. Her vision was beginning to blur, the once crisp divider lines on the road now becoming little more than fuzzy streaks. Sleep sounded so good, the thought of it tugging her like the smell of cooking food tugs at a starving person. Finally, she saw it. Ahead of her, the road dimmed. An archway appeared in the distance, the wide flatness of the road making it look small, like a scale model placed on the horizon. As she got closer, the archway grew large enough so that she could see the start of the bridge. She could just barely read the sun-bleached plastic sign that hung across the top of the archway. Warning, Old Town Bridge. The city's protection stops beyond this point. Enter at your own risk. A manic grin spread across Sarah's face as she read the sign, craning her neck to look up as she passed underneath it. The thing kept swaying back and forth. Why was it going back and forth? Back and forth. Back and forth. A cacophony of noise erupted on her right side as her eyes shot open again, the car scraping against the rusted steel guardrails of the bridge. She screamed, panicked, and jerked the steering wheel sharply to the left and then back to the right to make up for the overcompensation. A groan escaped her gritted teeth as once again searing hot pain leapt from her leg to rack the entire left side of her body. Blinking away the well of tears that blurred her vision, Sarah desperately tried to focus on the road. As the two vehicles left the bridge and officially entered Old Town, Sarah could see the SUV begin to pick up its pace in the rearview mirror. The pothole-ridden streets of Old Town are not the place for a high-speed car chase, what with their sudden turns and looming dead-end signs. But, unfortunately, the endurance part of this hunt had ended. The person or people in the SUV were done playing the long game. Sarah floored it, praying that her smaller car, lighter and faster on the turns, would get her to the Athenaeum before they ran her completely off the road. Casey didn't remember the car smashing through his display window. He knew he must have been somewhere close by when it happened, but the exact memory of what he had been doing and how he had come to be standing next to the passed out woman with a knife in her leg was lost somewhere in the past, hidden behind a fog of adrenaline and honest-to-goodness terror. 
One minute he had an armful of tomes, all ready to be set in their proper places on the shelves. The next minute, he was surrounded by debris, with the driver's side door open and the woman half pulled out of her car. The knight's patrons, a mix of regulars and irregulars who had come in just to get out of the rain, crowded around to see what all the ruckus was. Greg moved to the front of the crowd, immediately stepping forward to help Casey drag her away from the car and gently lay her on the floor. Greg studied her for a moment. Is she okay? Casey asked. How should I know? Greg said, panic clearly showing in his eyes. I'm not a doctor. Greg raised his voice to address the crowd. Does anyone here know medicine or have a tome that can heal? Despite a nervous tremor in his voice, the question could be heard clearly over the sound of the rain and the scattered muttering of the crowd. A teenager, maybe 14 or 15 years old, stepped forward. His faded red hoodie and dirty black jeans, both worn threadbare and covered with a film of grime, marked him as one of the various gutter punks that liked to come into Old Town during the summers. He set his dingy green backpack on the floor next to the woman and dug out his tome. Despite the general grime of everything else he owned, the tome titled Cleaning and Mending, A Guide to First Aid, seemed somehow clear of all dirt. He opened about halfway through the book, eyes darting quickly as he searched for the correct disruption to use. After a moment of tense silence, he began to read. A series of phonetic sounds like a half-understood language erupted from his throat. As the punk spoke, he gripped the knife's handle and pulled it out of the woman's leg, its blade still slick with her blood. Her wound closed almost instantly, not even leaving a scar. Out of habit, Casey kept his eyes on the punk's tome as its used disruption faded from the page, the line evaporating like a drop of water on a hot skillet. She'll still need to see a doctor, the punk said. Jesus, look at all that blood. Appreciate it, Greg said to the punk before raising his voice to address the crowd again. Can somebody here call an ambulance? He cried. Casey tore his eyes away from the scene, his stomach lurching at the sight of all the blood. What he saw around him wasn't much better, however. Broken glass and concrete masonry littered the floor, going out in all directions from the point of the car's impact. Chalky dust and fine slivers of glass that glittered in the lamplight now covered all of the surrounding shelves. I'm gonna have to clean all this up, Casey complained, letting out a heavy sigh. He felt a hand pat him on the shoulder and turned to see that it belonged to Greg. Cheer up, Case. At least no one's dead. Well, not yet anyway. The ambulance should be on the way. Casey shuddered at the memory of the wet knife coming out of the woman's leg. Wonder what the hell she was doing? he asked as a way of getting the image out of his mind. What do you mean? Greg asked. She was woozy from blood loss and crashed. Simple. Yeah, but she's not an old town local. Look at her clothes, they're too new. And on top of that, there aren't any hospitals out here. They're all the way in the city proper. Besides, she hit the front of the store head on as though driving right at it. Casey fell silent before shrugging. Maybe she's a nutcase. Hmm... Greg ruminated. What you're saying has a lot of logical leaps. Maybe she got stabbed here and was on her way into the city. We'll probably not know for a while, if we ever do find out the truth. As Greg said that, a sudden, uncharacteristic curiosity stole over Casey. Never know the truth. She had crashed into the one place he could even remotely call his own. He was at least owed an explanation. I'm going to find my own answers, Casey said eyeing the silver sedan. 
Greg followed his gaze. Do you think she'll be okay with you looking through her stuff? I'm at least going to find her insurance papers, Casey said, walking over to the vehicle. Hell, maybe get her to pay for people to do the cleanup for me. The front of the car was crunched like a soda can. Casey knew very little about how vehicles worked, but he imagined the things under the hood had to be in an even worse state. At first, he went for the driver's side door as it was closest to him and already open, but all the blood pooled on the floor and splashed on the inside of the door made him walk around the destroyed front end of the vehicle towards the passenger side. The huge scrape and series of dents all down the passenger side made it difficult to open that door, but Casey managed to find the proper leverage and yank the thing open with a groan of metal on metal. He kept his eyes carefully away from the blood on the other side of the car as he opened the glove compartment and rummaged through it. He found the woman's proof of insurance behind some kind of charging cable and a handful of napkins. Sarah Redondo, Casey read out loud. Guess I know her name at least. He read over the rest of the papers, silently committing the pertinent information to his memory. He placed everything back where he found it, napkins and all, and was just about to close the door when something caught his eye. The corner of a tome Casey had never seen before was sticking out from under the passenger seat. It was smaller by far than most tomes, only about as thick as a pack of sticky notes, but it was unmistakably a tome. He grabbed it, intending to return it to the woman. Upon wrapping his fingers around it, however, Casey immediately dropped it as though he had been stung. The small tome thudded as it hit the ground, sending up a larger cloud of dust than something its size should be able to. Casey examined his hand, flexing his fingers experimentally. It hadn't hurt in any sense of the word, more like his body had anticipated pain, and he had instinctively dropped the tome. He looked down at the object, brow furrowed. Bracing himself, Casey reached out to grab it once again. Again, he dropped it, its disproportionate weight hitting the floor like a ton of bricks. Casey crouched, looking at it even closer. He knew that the things had a sort of intelligence about them. They could tell who was reading them, and somehow gauge them, effectively deciding with whom they would like to be partners. Slowly, he took off his right shoe and sock, placing his foot back in the former, while putting the sock on his right hand, puppet style. Again, he went to pick up the tome. Stop, the voice called, so weak and faint that Casey almost didn't hear it over the wind and rain blowing in through the hole. He turned, and his eyes met Sarah's. She was awake, barely, and had turned her head to face him. Why? Casey asked. It's dangerous, more awake than the others. Her eyes closed again, and she seemed to focus on breathing. What do you mean, more awake? Casey asked, frowning. Pray that you never have to find out, she murmured. Casey stood and walked over to Sarah. She was weak, clearly, barely able to keep her eyes open. How did you get that knife in your leg? He asked. Long story, she replied, clearly refusing to elaborate any further. Look, he said, feeling the anger rise in him like a hot pressure. I want to help you, but I can't if you're going to stonewall me, so let's try again. My name is Casey. I'm the curator here. You just knocked a hole in the front of where I work, and I'm struggling to find reasons not to press charges. Do whatever you gotta do, she said, voice so quiet with fatigue Casey had to lean closer to hear her. Whatever, he muttered. 
turning once again to look at the mess around him. Hey, Sarah said. You want to help? Slide that tome over here. I thought it was dangerous. Just use the toe of your shoe to slide it over. Don't let it touch you again. Casey started to walk away, fully intending to ignore her and go wait for the ambulance. Instead, he found himself carefully sliding the tome towards her, leaving it next to her left hand. She reached out and placed her hand on the cover, sighing in relief. She started to breathe evenly. Hey, Case, Greg called. The ambulance is here. Casey could see the red and white lights flashing, throwing dancing shadows across the cave-like walls of the Athenaeum. Casey turned toward the entrance and could see a large white van outside silhouetted by its own flashing lights in the downpour. Two people, one man and one woman, threw open the doors and ran towards the hole in the wall. Squinting, Casey could just barely make out the words on the side of the vehicle. They read, Adirac Hospital. One of the two EMTs was a man. He was tall, broad-shouldered, and looked more like the background character from some old war flick than anything. Large-jawed and with black hair that was cut close to the sides of his head. The woman walking next to him was nearly as tall and wide as he was, with short braids pulled into a practical bun. Casey stepped to the side, indicating Sarah with one hand. We took her out of the car and pulled a knife out of her leg, Casey said as they walked past him, their feet hitting the floor in a uniform rhythm. They didn't even look at him as they walked towards the prone woman, kneeling on either side of her. The man held up a clipboard and pen while the woman inspected her. Casey watched in silence as Greg came up from behind to stand next to him. Not very friendly, the old man muttered. Casey shrugged. He turned and looked at the ambulance again, squinting for a better look through the rain and flashing lights. After a minute, he turned back to the EMTs, frowning. Something was wrong. He knew it was on an instinctive level, but his brain couldn't quite figure it out. All it knew was that his gut was sending up warning signals. Something about the shape or color of the ambulance, something about the way the EMTs moved. Or maybe he was just in shock. After another minute, both EMTs stood up in unison and started walking back towards their vehicle. Something about the way they moved made goosebumps erupt all over his body. Out of the corner of his eye, Casey could see Greg shudder. We need to get the cart the man said, pausing for just a moment to speak with Casey. Thanks, Casey said, watching them go back out and into the rain. Casey and Greg looked at each other, neither of them speaking but both able to sense the other's unease. The sound of something falling made them both whirl around. Sarah had apparently attempted to stand up and was now on her hands and knees. They both rushed over to her, trying to put her back into a laying position. She fought them despite her injuries. Damn it, lady, just lay down, Casey growled at her. They're not really MTs, Sarah gasped. They're gonna take me back. I won't. This statement, coupled with Sarah's desperation and his own unease, made Casey pause and look up at the two EMTs as they re-entered the main hall. There was a gurney between them, but something about the way they were gripping it just didn't seem natural. Calm down, Greg said doing his best to soothe her. You don't want to hurt yourself more. Sarah used Casey's momentary distraction to throw a wild haymaker with her left hand. She hit Greg full force in the side of his face with the tome. Casey froze, momentarily shocked, 
and got hit in the nose with a sickening crunch as Sarah brought the tome back around in a reverse arc. White-hot pain and warm blood covered his face as his vision went blurry with tears. Sarah opened her tome and held it in her left hand, reading a disruption that sounded like rocks thrown around the inside of a steel barrel. At the same time, the woman EMT stepped forward with her clipboard held out in front of her, speaking words that sounded like crackling twigs in a bonfire. Despite Sarah starting her disruption first, the EMTs finished hers faster. A wave of dry heat filled the Athenaeum, and a tongue of flame roared out of the EMT's face towards Sarah. Sarah fell back, not bothering to control her fall as she focused on completing her own disruption. As she said the last stony syllable, the floor began to rise. A wall that nearly reached the ceiling rose between her and the EMTs. The fire was cut off, but not before setting the shelved tomes behind her ablaze. Casey and Greg had gotten over their initial pain and shock, both watching in horror as dozens of tomes went up in smoke. What the hell are you doing? Casey yelled, awkwardly lunging at Sarah. He managed to grab her wrists and pin her to the ground under him. I'm saving my ass, she spat back. What kind of EMTs have a tome that creates fire? Casey struggled to keep Sarah pinned, but she brought her head straight up into Casey's already broken nose. He screamed in pain, flailing backwards and releasing her. Sarah rolled onto her stomach and pushed herself up. The wall she created wouldn't last forever, so she had to get out while she still could. In the back of her mind, a question nagged at her. How the hell had those people gotten inside of the Athenaeum? It should have rejected them the instant they set foot inside of the place. Sarah, a voice said, interrupting her train of thought. The man who had been masquerading as an EMT had apparently clambered up his side of the wall. He had pushed his face into the gap between the top of the wall and the ceiling as far as it would go. Burning alive is a very bad way to go, he said, his tone one of calm certainty. Better to just come with us. I'd rather burn alive than go with you, Sarah said. At least it's a death I can understand. The man clicked his tongue, then began speaking his own disruption. His voice was like the high-pitched whine of someone rubbing their finger over the top of a crystal glass. The pitch got higher, growing in volume until it was like knives in her ears. Sarah collapsed to her knees, dropping her tome and clutching the sides of her head. Casey was in a lot of pain. So much pain that he only noticed the terrible noise when he tried to stand up and felt his legs go watery. That noise was unlike anything he'd ever encountered. It was like nails on the chalkboard made inside of his own skull. He gritted his teeth and felt his eyes begin to water as he writhed, helpless on the floor. Someone started screaming. It was probably him. He tried to find the source of the sound, but it came from every direction. As he began to writhe even harder, his forehead hit the corner of something. Somehow, he knew it was Sarah's tome. Casey forced his eyes to focus on that damnably heavy tome. It appeared almost gleeful in its wrongness. He glared at it, forcing himself to slouch upright and looked directly at one of the randomly opened pages. His eyes were pulled as if by invisible hands to read the first sentence he saw. He couldn't hear whatever he was saying, but he could feel the words forced out of his throat, his mouth and tongue moving of their own accord. As he spoke the disruption into reality, the floor of the Athenaeum gave a jolt suddenly shattering as though hit by a giant mallet. 
Casey felt himself falling, and for a terrifying, dizzying moment, managed himself tumbling down the throat of some titanic beast into a dank, putrid darkness. Warm, oily liquid cushioned his fall, and he could feel chunks floating around him as a rapid current pulled him away from the noise and the heat, away from the hole through which he could still see the light of the burning fire, away into a darkness and stench so complete that his mind rejected both entirely, sending him hurtling into a blessed unconsciousness. Hey, this is Michael, author of Novel Magics. Thank you very much for listening to my podcast. If you're enjoying the story so far and would like to help the podcast grow, please share an episode with someone who you think would like it. I will be releasing a new episode on the third Sunday of every month. This is my first podcast, so for now it's a one-man show and nothing's going to be perfect, but I'm excited to have you along for the ride as I figure this whole podcasting thing out. Someday, if there's a large enough audience for this story, I would like to make this my full-time job. It would mean longer, better produced episodes that could be released more frequently. For now, thanks again for listening, and I'll see you next month. Stay safe out there. Novel Magics is an original story, written, recorded, and produced by Michael K. Austis.